just the general tone of this conversation. I need to listen to more episodes. I think that doesn't get nearly enough attention. So you guys are doing a service with this type of podcast. All right. Hey there, Scott. How's it going today? Doing well. It's, let's see, late August. The weather's starting to turn up here. We've had a couple of cooler days and cooler nights. We actually put long sleeves on when we went outside to see the sunrise the other morning. So that was a little strange, but good. I'm excited for today's guest too. Now she is just back from vacation as I understand it and she's full of energy. So my guess is we got that at times 10 because she's back from vacation. So I think it's a perfect fit. And Conrad, the funny part is you had brought her up at one point when we were recording and legitimately within 20 minutes after we finished recording, she had reached, she reached out to connect on LinkedIn. So well, probably one that was calling calling us together. The universe was calling us together. So I'm glad we were finally getting a chance to do this one. Or she has a bug in my office. We haven't figured it out yet. Adam, be, <laughs> Adam, what's going on in your neck of the woods? Well, how are you doing? I'm doing great. So similar to Scott, it definitely feels like it's changing down here as well. And I don't know anything about this, so you'll have to research on your own. But the Japanese talk about micro seasons. So they break the year, obviously, further than the four seasons we consider. It feels like in the last week, we've turned into some sort of micro season where you feel like the summer's ending. We're not quite at fall. It just feels a little bit different. So the beaches are starting to slow down. We're starting to think about school. Not much of a sports update, to, but we do have tryouts for middle school soccer starting today. So fingers crossed that all goes well. But like Scott, excited for this conversation. And I think this continues to build on the threads that we've been pulling on. So the one that really struck me with today's conversation with Tyann was when Amy was talking about how we need to double down on marketing. This is a perfect time for a lot of reasons. Uh, COVID got us away from marketing because things were moving so easy. We've talked about AI and where marketing is going to come back into things. So this was a big opportunity, as Amy put it, was to really refocus on marketing, make sure that our team's built out, make sure that we're doing the right things. And one thing that Amy mentioned was thinking through the full guest journey and starting to talk about all of those different touch points throughout that guest journey and how those can be improved. But not only improved, if we think about unreasonable hospitality, really, how do we make those touch points amazing? That's the opportunity that we have in front of us. The guest experience is where all of these magical moments come together. And we touch that guest so many times throughout that process. But right now it feels really mechanical. We've got a lot of automation built in there and, and hopefully AI will make it feel a little bit differently. But I'm excited to hear Tyann's perspective on A, where are all those touch points? And then B, how can we really make those amazing? So it should be a great conversation. All right, so a quick Tyann story and then I'll turn it over to her. So I was sitting in a car with Tyann in St. Louis, I think it was for VR Mastered. And I saw her in action. And I like referenced this call literally five years later. I don't even know when that was Tyann and exactly what year that was. But I've seen Tyann call a guest who's arriving at one of her properties, her personal properties. And I've seen that two minute phone call that she does and I think about that sometimes as an example of what actual hospitality looks like and her just welcoming that person, making them feel, you know, that they, that someone's there to help them. And obviously I'm sure, Tyane, you can check with us here in a second. I'm sure the door code was automated. I'm sure a lot of that stuff was automated. That phone call was not automated. That phone call was someone actually calling, checking, everything's great. And hopefully that guest had no issues whatsoever. I'm sure they did if you were hosting them, but that's like a little minor example. I've seen it in action and it's really interesting. So Tyane, a lot to cover today, but if you don't mind, could you give folks a brief background first, if you could, and then also a song that best describes you as well. Absolutely. Thanks, guys. I appreciate so much for you asking me to come on the podcast. It's been a summer of crazy, I'm sure with everyone else. And you guys referenced it's turning to fall. Oh, hell no. It is not fall in Missouri. 
We are literally 100% humidity at this moment. The last time I looked, it was 95 degrees with a feels like of 114 degrees. We're on massive heat warning efficiency, things like that. Like we're in damage control mode with all the HVAC systems because the residential HVAC systems for three-story houses that can't cool lower than 20 degrees of what's outside. And so what happens too is that condensation starts building up. And did you know, I learned this the other week, your HVAC unit can create up to five gallons of condensation within an hour. And if your drain system can't handle that or it's clogged, guess what happens? Yeah, it's not good. <laughs> so we're on high alert over here with that. It is slower as far as guests go. But yeah, so me, I started in the industry way back when my youngest son was born. So it was July, 2007, and we were at a water park in Branson, Missouri, when we decided to sign the contract to build our very first purpose-built vacation rental. And at that time, we decided to go with a four-bedroom house. It was one of the largest houses available in the area. And we were sleeping 14 people because when you went from the 12 person to the 14 person, your competition dropped dramatically. So we were one of 12 homes that slept more than 12 people. More than half of them was my family. So my aunt and uncle, my parents, we had the market easily. Uh, so it was great to, that I have grown up in this industry along with my family. And I think that's a, one thing that a lot of people don't get is that support that's built in. So it makes for really great holiday dinners when you're swapping stories and things like that. So hopefully I'll talk about one of those stories that I just conversation that I just had with my parents this weekend with maybe later in the podcast. But yeah, so that's how I started back in 2007. So fast forward now, I've got two brands of properties. They're boutique. We're very careful about the properties we choose. So we're down in Branson, Table Rock Lake area, and then Missouri Wine Country. So Missouri Wine Country is where I bought a bank. And this bank is where you can legally launder. See, I believe the only place you can legally launder at a bank in the United States. Lots of fun to talk about all the different things like we tell guests you can bank on a good time. That was a really awesome property that I had built back after I had gone through a fire in life. I'd gotten divorced and did that on my own, rehabbing it. And that has grown into a whole nother brand of properties, which is really awesome. And then of course, there's always more. As Conrad mentioned, VR Mastered Bootcamp, that was something that my friend Alana and I taught for several years before COVID hit. I love, love teaching and sharing knowledge, something I've always wanted to do since I was a kid. And then I'm also the queen of guest experience with Touch Day Digital Guidebooks. They brought me on over five and a half years ago to bring that perspective to a tech company of a owner, host, property manager to make sure they're really serving the industry the way that property managers and hosts need. I think that's the rundown of who I am. Pretty good. So my song, this is a song my husband chose for me. I am not a huge music fan as far as who sings what, unless it's Ed Sheeran. But the song that best describes me, according to my husband, would be by Five Seconds of Summer, their version of Killer Queen. I don't know that song, but I know Five Seconds of Summer, so we'll have to, it, it shouldn't be too dig, deep of a pull to get that one on the playlist, hopefully. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I wouldn't sing any lines for you. I'm not, a, you don't want no, to No, that's okay. That. <laughs> that's okay. I think the only person that's offered to sing so far has been Dave from Rent Responsibly, and he's saying Itsy Bitsy Spider on the show, and I don't think we need to repeat that. All respect yeah, to yeah. Dave. But... <laughs> let's, let's just let that one be the, the one. Yeah. 
Yeah, we'll let that be the one going forward. And th the funny part about Tyann is that she went through that intro and didn't even cover some of her other businesses that aren't vacational related. So Tyann does not st sit still, that is for sure, knowing her for some time and seeing her in action. She always has different things going on. So we could start in a million places. What I'm interested in starting with maybe is now, because now is what people often care about when they're listening, maybe and they want to know what's going on. So what's your perspective, Tyann, of now? We've talked a lot, Adam and Scott, and you said you listened to some back episodes on the show about the 2019ers, people coming in. You were obviously here before. For that, you've seen this kind of rise of interest. It seems like your market, I could be wrong, probably was impacted by that. The Branson kind of Table Rock area being one of these markets where there's been this huge boom in supply. What's your feeling of how that's impacted you today? How did 2023 go? And where are we going to head in the next like few months or the next year, maybe from your point of view? So for 2023, we're pretty average. We're down majority of places. One place is up. That's our smallest house. So we added a hot tub. We made $0 last year between capital expenses of adding a hot tub and a shed and e-bikes and sod and a fence and, oh yeah, the HVAC unit went out and those types of things. So it's great to see some money there for that property this year, but generally 2023, we're busting our butts. 2022, we busted to get to how well we did it 2021 and we did it and some even better than 2021, but we're really working hard to, to just even get some decent numbers in 2023. But when I look back 2019, oh yeah, we're totally in line with 2019. It's not that big a deal. And I go back further 2018, 2015, and I've got one property that has gone, we start, we opened it in 2009. I built it. And then a couple of years ago, right before COVID, we sold it, but they kept us on. So it's a really good property that I've been able to track now, which is great. And that one has the same continued line, which is, was good. As far as why we need to really bust it this year, it's not because of lack of people wanting to stay. It's we've had a giant influx of competition. So like I said, in 2007, I was one of 12 properties. If you go look in Branson area for properties that sleep 14 or more, I think we're at around five or 600 properties. And a lot of those are huge. I mean, and they're cramming people in. So what we done, we have done, and like you said earlier, marketing is huge. So we are heavy into the marketing, but we also pay attention very much to who is coming and who our target guest is. And we speak directly to them. So when you start filtering down to exactly who our target guest and who we want, we have been able to reduce our competition to under 30 properties and 10 or more of ours. So again, we've been able to corner the market on that. So when you start applying, we want to bring a dog. Okay. Right there that gets rid of a bunch of people. You want a hot tub that doesn't get rid of as many people anymore. Cause we've, everybody realizes in Branson, you got to have a hot tub now, but the big one is if you need an accessible property, if you need to bring a wheelchair, if you need to bring a walker, if you just need a step or two into the home and you add all those things together, your, our competition's drastically reduced. And I, I'm giving away a secret right here is that Branson is everybody knows it's, I say everybody, it's the middle of the United States. It's within a day's drive of half the population of the country. So when families say, Hey, we want to come together. We want to get together for a few days for a week for a getaway. They're looking at Branson because everybody can have about the same distance driving to get together. And what happens is when you get three, four generations, you are most likely to have someone in your group 
who has accessibility issues. And so we make sure that when we build our properties, like we just did two more and launched a total of five properties this past month, which was crazy. And we were like, okay, you got to have a ramp. You got to have an accessible bathroom. Those are the important things to folks coming together and people aren't thinking about it. So this neighborhood that we just launched these five in is a neighborhood of, I think, 55, 60 homes. And you drive through it and there is maybe 10 homes that have a ramp to get into the front door. All of them, all the rest have several steps to get in. And I look at it, I'm like, yes, that's exactly what I want. (laughs) Because when the guest says, hey, grandma's coming or my sister-in-law's coming and we need that accessibility, like we got you, we're good. And guess what? You don't have one choice. You have several choices. Here, take your pick. It's interesting that you say that the difference in count when we started, there was 15. Now there's 600. A lot of people would hear that and they would react and say, how can I shut them down? How can I stop the development of new properties and that sort of thing? Do you see it that way? Is there something that you could do where it's like, we've over, we've overdone it. We've overcooked it. There's too many rentals. Is there something that the local community should be fighting back against? We talked about regulations last episode with David and Alexa. Has that been an issue? Or it seems like you went in a different direction. I guess I'm just curious your thought process there of, hey, there's going to be competition. It is what it is. People want to come to Branson. Like you said, the market is very accessible for a lot of people. I'm just going to make a better product than them. It seems like that's what you leaned into. But what about the other side of that? The let me stop what's happening angle as well. So what one of the things that I love about the Branson area is they're very forward thinking. A lot of folks might at first are like, Branson, that's for old people. No, not anymore. They're very forward thinking. So putting in the infrastructure, they have built out their roads and their highways, the infrastructure, and they also look forward on regulations. So they went through this pre-COVID, making sure that regulations are in place. We've got the safety inspections. We do sprinklers in all of our units. And you have to have a special permit to have a vacation rental. So what the developers do is they'll buy the land, they'll get all the permits in place, get everything pre-approved, and then sell you the lot or the house. So the vacation rental neighborhoods are in place, and then there's zoning and specific housing for the locals, the workers, and things like that. So this has been in place for several years. What I love about it is it does help keep competition down, but it also helps you know, the whole community, because the big thing is we experienced so many visitors. We were such a hidden secret, a hidden gem for such a long time. And before COVID, I'm just like, oh my gosh, investors are going to find us eventually. It's going to explode. It's going to explode. And sure enough with COVID, it did. One, Missouri didn't shut down. We just said, hey, use common sense, go about your business. And we did. And it was awesome because everybody said, we want a house and we want to go to Branson. Let's go. There's lots of nature stuff to do. So everybody came out and then the investors after that started coming. So we've got people coming from all over the country. I've got one client who I don't think will ever come to Missouri. She just said, oh yeah, Branson. Okay. This looks great. Numbers good. Let's go. And here's my money. And here, put in the design, tell us what you need and everything. Let's go. And I, we've seen it coming for several years. I'm not worried about it at this point either because the number of visitors is still far exceeding what, when you look at it in comparison to other areas. So yes, we're slowing down. Yes, there's more properties to serve those guests, but I really truly believe more and more people are discovering Missouri. 
And one of the things I keep an eye on is Missouri Chamber of Commerce. I go to the Visit Missouri, the Governor's Conference. I talk to those folks. What is the state doing? What is Branson doing? What are they doing to get visitors to come? And I'm very happy and very comfortable with the stats and the data, everything that's coming in. I am one of those folks who says, yes, you need to be a part of your Chamber of Commerce. We're actually a part of two Chamber of Commerces down there. In the wine country, we're part of two as well, because it's very important, the work that they do. And then we work very closely with them. Pretty awesome. Mm-hmm. Adam, I guess I'm curious your perspective. You've seen a lot of different markets in your career. This market to me was one where I had to discover it. It wasn't immediately obvious to me. And then I learned about it and I went, wow, this is huge. I guess I'm your, do you have any direct experience of the Branson market in your career? And what are some other learnings that you've had finding markets like this that have this big drive to audience that are more middle America? I'll tell you what, it's hard to find these markets these days. It's really interesting to hear the way Diane describes how it grew up over just the last few years, really from COVID to now. It's very interesting to hear how the forethought was put into it because they came into it late enough in the game where they recognized, hey, here are some steps we need to take to make this an efficient process as we scale. And it's hard to find markets that are still scaling in that way. So it's exciting to hear that. I do have firsthand experience in Branson. Scott and I went out there a few months ago and I was surprised, just like Tyan suggesting, it was much more enticing than I anticipated it would be, both from a, from a nature perspective, but also from an activities perspective. There is so much activity that is in that market. I can see why it's an area that people are gravitating to for a vacation, but to Tyan's perspective, it's also central for all of these different locations to come to. The closest comparison that I can think of is Pigeon Ford and Gallenberg. I think that's a very similar comparison in the same sense that it's a similar market. It's outdoorsy. You've got all these outdoors experiences, but you've also got activities and it's centrally located where you can get a lot of people to gravitate towards there. I didn't. I was not aware that it was still growing up so late in the game. I, I think it's hard to find these markets, Conrad. I think that's hidden gem in the industry is trying to uncover where these markets are. Now, I think that Branson is unique in the sense that it was large enough and had the infrastructure to build and scale at the right pace at the right time. I think that COVID put a lot of smaller markets on the map that maybe shouldn't have been on the map. And I think that goes to some of the other discussions that we've had on these second tier markets that might be struggling right now as we go through through some of the changes that we've talked about. I think if they're these second tier markets that grew up and had this influx of inventory, I think they're the ones that could be challenged. But to Tyann's point, the the demand is still surpassing what the supply is in Branson, which is amazing to think that you went from 12 competitors to 500 plus. But I, what I'd like to maybe lean into a little bit more is how you're differentiating yourself. I think the way that you're thinking about this is really important and curious on a couple different levels of that. One, you, you mentioned that your boutique and you're thinking about how you bring new homes into it in a very thoughtful process. So I'm curious about what homes you look for and what are those things that you look for in homeowners to make sure that it's the right match. And then on the guest side, I'd love to talk about how you are differentiating yourself. The accessibility is huge. Now, I think that when it's a new purpose-built, it's a little bit easier to think through that process than some people who have been in the industry and have legacy homes and have to try to rethink about that. But the underlying point is it is an exceptionally important point. As this becomes more competitive, you've got to figure out how do I differentiate myself from the other 500 properties that are on the market? And there's probably a number of ways to do that. But one of the ways that I think as you've branded yourself the queen of guest experience, I think that's really probably the most important one is how do we build this really amazing guest experience that brings people back? I guess two twofold there. What do you look for in a homeowner? And then what are you thinking about from a guest experience side? 
Yeah. So I want to also comment real quick what you said about Pigeon Forge, how it's everybody compares Branson to Pigeon Forge. Think of it this way too. Pigeon Forge, Gatlinburg area gets a couple million more visitors than Missouri in Branson area, yet they have double the number of properties available. It's pretty mind-blowing when you yeah, think of it. Wild. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so what we look for in a homeowner client, when I started the property management part, I was not looking to be a property manager. I, at that point, had two homes. I was, that's all I wanted to do. I just wanted to do my own. My family, my mom and dad have five. My brother has five, four now. My sister has four, three or four. My brother, other brother has like two or three. And it was like, okay, that's cool. We'll just swap back and forth. But when we sold, when I decided to sell the one to turn it into what we call trade new. So that's what our family does is we trade new when it gets to the point of it needs more maintenance. We're ready to build a new one. We better know our guests. We better know what the market is doing and how to stay competitive. So we work out the floor plans and we build new so much so that my mom and I swap floor plan ideas and we tweak and make each other's better. And then we've staring at houses across the street from each other and <laughs> it's true direct competition right next to you at the dinner table as well. But what we're look, but we very quickly learned because I had already started with my own and I knew what I wanted. I knew what the guests wanted. I also knew that I didn't need to have a property management company to support my family, that it was more of a side thing that if I wanted to take on a home, I could. And that's where we realized we could have very stringent terms, have what we call our non-negotiables so that we make sure that our branding can stay on point. And I started leaning into, okay, who are we? Who is Branson Family Retreats? I completely renamed us and everything to really lean into building exactly what I wanted us to be. And so when someone comes to us, because we don't advertise our property management at all, it has to be by referral only, whether that's another homeowner client refers someone or someone, a realtor or the interior designer, or just someone who, yeah, they'll do a Google search and they'll find us, but we don't go out and advertise. And when someone comes in, first they have to get through my husband. He screens them. He's the first line of defense here. And he talks about the non-negotiables. Our main non-negotiables, which at that point gets rid of 90% of people, we say one we do not do bunk beds, period. End of story. It's not happening. If they want to do bunk beds and they want us, nope. If they want us, they will have to get rid of the bunk beds. And we've had someone do that. He's okay. I know. I want you. No bunk beds. Got it. Let's rip them out. Second one is you have to be dog friendly. We know dogs are a part of families and we want all our places to be dog friendly. We did make one exception last year because they are a very high allergy family. And at that point, we realized with the number of properties that, you know what, let's have one that is dog friendly so that we can serve those families that can't have dogs anywhere near period. Because if our mission and value is to serve the entire family, no matter what we, by not having a property, that's not dog friendly, we're not serving everyone. So we did make the one exception. The third non-negotiable was you have to use our linens and towels. So that's it. And then you have to do the lock that we say at that time. But the main thing too, is we told them you're inter you think you're interviewing us, but we're also interviewing you. 
we want to make sure that we're a good fit, but also that you're a good fit for us. Because if our business, our ethics, everything, if that all doesn't match, if we're not going to work well together, because this is a partnership, then someone's going to get really mad really easily. You're not going to understand. So let's make sure we're all on the same page before we go any further. And that has really helped. And it's also when we took someone on that we really realized quickly that they weren't the right person for us. When it came time to fire them, we fired them. And then Brooke did his 10 things that you regret thing. And he's turned it into a book. And I think it's amazing. And every time I did a LinkedIn post, I'd scan through. I'm like, yep. Huh? Uh-huh. Okay, great. I made the right decision that day. <laughs> that is awesome. <laughs> so that that's how we look at it for homeowner clients. We go through pretty, it's a process and it could be a couple interviews as well. And we're also very careful with our time because we are an extremely small team. Like I said, we're boutique, we're hands-on. We're very much so to the point of, okay, you're going to set up a new house and yes, you have to use our linens and towels, but you're still, you're just going to pay us a flat fee for them. On top of that, you're not going to touch the beds. We will come in we're going to set up the beds. We're going to set up the linen closet, the supply closet. This is part of our process while you're gone, because you're not going to be there the whole time. It's going to be guests. It's our team coming in. So we got to make sure the process is set up for them and things go well. So when they say, okay, what bed can I get? I'm like, you may choose the frame. However, there are parameters around that too. You have to look at the weight limit. We want king beds and they got to be minimum 700 pounds weight limit minimum. We're not doing this thing where chairs are only 225 pounds because they look great and they're designer. Nope. Jack that up. We went 300 pounds plus beds, 700 pounds. You, like we said, we want the whole family to come and we want your furniture to last. We don't want to be repairing things. We don't want to be replacing things every year. We don't want to have to refund a guest or possibly have an insurance or sue suing claim because something broke because of was not appropriate for the house or for the guests that are coming. So trying to be proactive, which is a huge thing in our business, being proactive about everything versus reactive. So that's the homeowner part. The guest part, we are after those three, four generation families as the core guests. We speak directly to them. In our listing descriptions, we talk about how we are a large family. We talk about how we understand what they're going through right now, trying to be that one person who finds and coordinates a large family vacation with 20 plus people and this stress and anxiety you're going through because you're saddled with this task. It's okay. We got gotcha. you. We understand. I come from a family of six kids. My husband's from a family of six kids together. We have six kids. We know how this works and uh, we understand it. And so we let them know that we're there, we're on their side, we know what they're doing. And then we give them as much information as possible up front and speak to exactly why they're coming. And then everything after that also speaks to exactly why they're coming, who they are. We've got a guest avatar. Her name's Sue. She's from Oklahoma. She's a right, retired teacher. She's got a large family and she just wants to come get everybody together, have dinner, make a big meal and play board games and cards at the dining table. So that's who we're after. Now, after that, we're after the groups of friends, the college folks, or two small younger families, like maybe I say younger, but like Conrad's age, you and 
a couple buddies getting together with your families and then you come stay. So that's our second guest avatar. And it's, it works out really well, but the surprising thing I have noticed, and I, and even though you didn't ask me this is that in the past year, the number of families. So when you look at how many are in the, in there, the number of adults, kids has shrunk. So even though we have a six bedroom house with a private indoor pool, we've noticed a single family will come with six people, two adults, three kids and grandma, or maybe just the parents and two kids. And what I'm finding is this is beautiful because we are hitting not just a market that's underserved as far as our core target guests, but we're also hitting that slightly smaller outer market who wants everything we've offered, but they've got the money to do it completely on their own versus splitting it with another family. It was interesting, Scott, hearing Tyann kind of go through some of those criteria and that she said non-negotiables, which I think is a clever way of approaching it. What's your perspective on that, Scott? Obviously, the type of inventory that you know, you're typically targeting, that Tan is typically targeting, probably doesn't overlap much with what Tyann's describing as far as size and things like that. But I'm interested, how do we figure out what those non-negotiables are for Tan units? And what can someone listening learn from that as far as what they need to hold true to them, whether it be large properties or perhaps more affordable properties? So I, th- I think, first of all, the clarity, right? Tyann is extremely clear on both who she's serving on the guest side and the the owner side. That is when it becomes very difficult to have find misalignment. And like she she said, when it comes up, it's an easy conversation. On on tan, Conrad, it for us it's clean, comfortable, convenient, right? That's our core. And then we've got the fi- the financial aspects, the economic a- aspects. But if you go back to what we're doing with Casago Del Mar, is we have taken this down to who do we want to work with and tie in, we could share it with you offline. But we actually survey our owners. Now different than you, we're out pushing for owners, right? We're out doing acquisition efforts, but we essentially, we have an initial conversation with them, see what they're thinking, make sure it's going to fit the profile. We've got three of us that look at the property when it comes in. We then say, okay, yeah, this is a fit or this isn't a fit. Then we have a conversation with them. And after that initial conversation, we stop, send them a survey. And that survey is really an alignment survey. And it's uh, 10 or 12 questions. And essentially, one to 10, how do you rate giving us full rate control? How do you rate putting 2% back into the property every year? How do you rate having enough seating for the occupant, the defined occupancy on the property? And we go through and we've had two not even be close and it becomes an easy conversation to say, hey, we're just not the same fit, right? Here's why, and we can talk through it a little bit. Now we've just recently had three that were spot on perfect matches. And when we find those matches, and also, and Adam can attest to this, it moves very fast, right? Because now they like the approach we took, right? Because everyone says the same thing. Wait a minute. You're surveying me, right? Yeah, we need to see if it's a fit. We need to see if this is going to work. Then once they go through it, and I think once they see the questions, they start to say, wait a minute, these are the things that are important to them. And it really starts to speed it along and, and help. And again, I think Tyann has a level of clarity. We're not at that level of clarity. We're probably a step or two higher, but her level of clarity is incredible. And I think quite honestly, we all could say, hey, not everyone has that level of clarity, but I think most of us want to have that level of clarity in the business, right? We've talked about this and Picasso is the easy one to pick on, but I think it's universal we have the competitors and the people in our space that just want everything, right? They want to have the $50 night of place and then they want to have the $3,500 night place. And 
that gets twisted real fast, real easy, right? You're not serving the same guest demographic. You're not serving the same owner demographic. You only get so far. So it doesn't have to be to our level of clarity. Certainly doesn't have to be to Tyann's level of clarity. But I think all of us in the industry need a level of clarity on who we're here to service. I think, I don't know exactly where, if he was replying to you, Tyan, the other day, but I think I saw a tweet from Jamie Lane where he published recently their like top rated property manager blog post. I don't know if you saw this. And what he was saying in the tweet was that the best rated property managers have between 20 and 40 units, which I thought was interesting that they're, I, I found that cutoff number to be 50, per, just anecdotally, personally speaking, I would trust AirDNA and they have actual spreadsheets and gobs of data to back that up. But I guess I'm curious, Tyan, your thoughts on that. Is there some kind of cap to what Scott was saying, where it's once you get past 50, or maybe I think your number is quite a bit smaller, Tyan, very intentionally, but could you see a path where you could manage 75, 100, 200 and keep that same level of care? Or is it basically just very challenging to do without having a huge team built out behind it? It'd be very challenging, hands down challenging, because it is the human aspect that is the most difficult to do. And we're, last summer, we had five properties in Branson besides our second brand, but I'm going to, that's on the side right now. So we'll focusing on Branson. We had five last summer and then we had 13 this summer. So more than doubling the number of properties. And when, when I say, okay, yeah, Tyan, you've got these properties, but let's talk about bedroom count. Okay. So I keep saying large. One of our non-negotiables is we do a minimum of four bedrooms in size. So we're looking at, I think I just counted the other day, 83 bedrooms. So we're talking a lot of turnover. We do ensuite bathrooms. So there's actually more bathrooms than bedrooms total when you do the half bathrooms. And managing the human touch throughout all of that is very difficult. And this summer, like I put on Twitter, I'm like, on the surface, we look great. Behind the scenes, uh-uh. No, it did not go very well at all. And we even had a year to plan this out because the five of them were being built. And then the other three we took on were more last minutes. Like, oh, hey, look, we built these house. Can we take it on? So we had time to prepare, but still until you're in the middle of it, you're like, oh no, will we grow bigger? We have so many people asking us too. I don't know if we will or not. I think it's, it would mainly be, can we have the team that fits with what we want? That is the hardest part. And on top of that, I don't even live in Branson. We're three and a half hours away. So managing to do this as a remote property manager, and yes, Obviously, we have boots on the ground folks, but having them to match what we want has been an extra layer of difficulty on top of that. But as far as what Jamie Lane said, 20 to 40, I totally agree with him because then it also, if you've got too many people for the number of properties, you're not a sustainable business. You're just losing money. And then again, if you want a business that your goal is to support other families and provide this, and you don't care much about actually, you know, doing, making more money or anything that totally works too. It just totally depends upon what your definition of success is and what you want from it. Mm -hmm. And we talked about these 2019ers and we've said, this is all passive income. What are you talking about, Tyann? Problems, issues, human capital? No, we just throw it on a listing site and it's passive income, Adam. Am I wrong? Yeah, well, I'm listening to all these points and it's really interesting, <laughs> which is obviously why we love doing the podcast. It's so great to get these various viewpoints and tie all these pieces together. But there's a couple of things that occur to me as, I, as we talk through some of these pieces here. So I think the first piece that's super interesting 
is your point about the 40 to 50. We go back and we talk about scale. Can this industry scale from a branding perspective, from an operations perspective? Is that the indicator right there that the reality is that the scale is at that 40 to 50 where it starts to break and then you're going to start to have harder problems? That's a really interesting concept if that's true, because as for all the reasons we've talked about, the industry is going through these this transitional phase. If the right scope for all of these property managers is that size, then really what does that mean for the growth of the industry and what's the right direction? I don't know where to take that. But I listen to all these things and I look for indicators to think about what is the next thing that's coming and where is this going? And the one indicator that Tyann just hit, and I've heard this a number of different ways, I'm seeing it anecdotally in the Outer Banks, is You've got this sort of outer group that is now paying larger price to have a different experience. So you've got the family with an adult and two kids or parents and two kids staying in what would normally be a larger home, but they're willing to pay a little bit more. Now, the question becomes, what are they willing to pay for and then why are they doing it? So I've heard it being talked as a flight to quality. And if that's the case... And then you go back to the 40 to 50 range and building out all of the clarity and the thoughtfulness that Tyann is talking about. What is the scope of actually being able to be that thoughtful and be that clear with the homeowners and with the guests? But the thought process with the idea of having smaller groups of people starting to be willing to pay more, I think that's this quality that the guest is going to start to expect in order to have the vacation rental experience. And if that's the case, then... Going back to your 2019er comment there, Conrad, Tyann's talking about having a tough year with five purpose-built properties and loads of experience still being difficult, not only because the economy is different and it's hard to get the reservations, but the guest expectations are higher and operations in this industry is just super difficult anyway. Like all of those indicators together, I don't know how to put the story together, but you're starting to come together with all of these different puzzle pieces that at least is showing us a direction of where this industry is going. More thoughtful for the guests, much more clarity with the homeowners to make sure that we're all aligned on what those expectations are. There's going to be a level to what we're willing to scale because we're going to break things as we scale. All of those pieces coming together, I don't know what that puzzle is, but it's super interesting to see all the pieces coming together. Adam, one more piece to that puzzle that I don't know that a lot of people think about is the age. So I'm of the age where I have more money when I want to spend that I want to spend. I, I have grandkids. Obviously I started at five years old to have grandkids, but, and by the way, the grandkids are through my husband and he's older than me. <laughs> um, but if you think about it is the person paying for this family trip, the who, who is the person paying and who, what are the ages of the people who are coming with them? So when I go on vacation last summer, we booked a five bedroom beach house and we paid for it for all our kids and grandkids to come. And we're talking about teenage boys and couples. What kind of bed will a teenage boy sleep on? Any bed. <laughs> Any bed <laughs> on his own. Yes. Yes. Correct. Okay. He'll tolerate so a twin if- as long as he's by himself. Yeah. Exactly. My sons would rather sleep on the floor than share a king size bed with someone. Yeah. Yeah. So when you're doing your bed setups, think about the actual makeup of the family you are serving and what type of bed setups you need. So the other thing to think about is those bunk beds. One of the reasons there, there's a couple of reasons we don't do bunk beds. One is the safety issue. We do not want family memories to include a trip to the hospital. Two, our cleaning team hates making bunk beds and we've got to keep the cleaning team happy. 
The third one, which a lot of people don't think about is the weight limits and size limits of a bunk bed with the lower weight limit of generally 125 pounds and the age of the person who can be in that bunk bed, you're generally going between ages of five and maybe 10 or 11. So if you're in Branson and one of the bedrooms has three sets of triple bunks, you're sleeping nine people. Does your family group include nine kids between the ages of five and 10 and 125 pounds or less? Generally, no. And you've just ruined your sleep count and people will sleep wherever they can, of course, because they don't think about those things. So when we talk about these smaller number of this smaller number in the family booking the larger house, we're talking about people like me who realize, okay, I've got the money to give each of my teenage boys their own bed, but also their own room and ideally their own bathroom too. Cause who wants to share a bathroom with a teenage boy? That is not going to be me. On top of that, I want an extra bathroom for my husband as well. So let's look for a house big enough to accommodate all these things. And then you're hitting that market of people who they're saving for that one year family trip. So that's just another puzzle piece I want to throw in for you. Well, but if you add all those puzzle pieces together, I think what we start to find is the supply gets very thin. So to your point in Branson, you guys clearly have some room to grow. But as we think about these other markets, you start to hone in on on what the successful properties are going to be relatively quickly when you start to think about all of the needs of the guests. And then on top of that, what that really indicates is that you've got a property manager or a homeowner who's really paying attention to what that guest experience is going to be, which in the end, I think we keep circling back to. I think the people that focus on the guest experiences really are going to be the ones who win in the next evolution here. Diane, I want to go towards the marketing direction because you're pretty public as far as your percentages go of what percent you get from Airbnb, what percent you get from Verbo, Direct, et cetera. And I know you publish those in different avenues. The one I see frequently is on Twitter, where I think the audience there is not as direct booking savvy, nor are they as direct booking, I would say, maybe like effort-wise, they're not putting in the efforts to get direct booking. So I guess I'm curious your background and history around how you've started to build the brand and get some direct bookings. What did that look like initially? We talked a lot about property configuration, but then once someone gets to their site, how do they find the property if it's not through a listing site OTA? What's worked well for you there and how, if you could share updated numbers, that's interesting to me as well. What percent are direct versus the OTA platforms too? So we started direct booking way back July of 2007. The moment I listed on Verbo was the moment we went direct booking as well. That was a time, I'll really say how old I was. You can mail physical photos to Verbo for them to put onto your listing. I don't know if you guys even realized that was an option. You could totally do that. that on is top wild. Of, isn't it? I thankfully they also had the digital option as well. So I was able to upload digital photos. But then they also had to manually look over the listing. So it took extra time to even be listed. Plus it was a holiday weekend. So it was like three days before it was listed on Verbo. But at the same time, I was also putting together my own website and listing my policies and saying, this is how you book direct. I did something different than everybody else in my area, AKA my parents and aunt and uncle. Whereas yes, you had to sign a guest agreement. That was the time that you physically wrote a check and you physically put your ink on a guest agreement and mailed it. And you went to the PO box every week to collect your checks and your guest agreements. But I wanted to make sure I had money in hand. So I started doing a deposit with credit card. And the cool thing about the awesome thing about Verbo back then is you got all the information about the guests. So it was purely just like Craigslist. It was incredible. 
And that's where I started to figure out and play with branding and getting people to know it's their booking from us, not through Verbo. Now, Conrad, you mentioned the other things in my life that I did not mention. You said there was a bunch of others. There was, I have a line of children's room decor that I also started a year or two before that. It grew, I retired it, I think two years ago, but handmade items that we shipped out all over the world. And that was how I really learned how to stand out in a marketplace, eBay, Etsy, my own website, what marketing does and how you can market by e-commerce online. That was, so then I figured out how to take photos and what's the difference. Whereas people were selling the same thing I was creating on Etsy, but I was getting triple the price simply because I could market it better. And that was the photos. And then I started talking and teaching in the industry about vacation rental photography as well. And the biggest thing though, is it all comes back to that human touch over and over And now the way we get our direct bookings is not only the past guest and people will ask me, what's your repeat guest booking? We're about 10%. But I also want to clarify something that I don't think a lot of people think about. They think about repeat guests as, oh, they come back every year. Are you going to get together with your family of 20 plus people every single year? No. So what you need to look at is the longer range. What's really amazing is when we get a guest to come back after 10 years, when someone says, hey, I've been on your email list since we stayed with dad for his 80th birthday, and I have saved every single email from you because knowing we're going to come back for mom's 90th birthday. And guess what? Our family's grown. We need a bigger house as well. And then they book. They don't even look elsewhere because they remember that experience from over 10 years previously. So when you're building it, don't think this is an instant thing or, oh yeah, we can get it done in a year or two. It is a marathon. It is a long time. So some of the tricks we do, I say tricks, tips, hacks, whatever you want to call them with the listing sites is we're very upfront about who we are, that we are someone, we have a property name, property name, we have a company name, we are real people. We drop so many hints about who we are that it is really easy to find us on Google. I remember that several years ago, someone found us directly and she's, she was older. We know we, we deal with a lot of folks in their eighties or so. And she calls up and says, I, I don't know if I can give you my credit card. I'm not comfortable putting it online. I don't know if I can trust you. And I said, that's fine. This is how the best process is for, to book our place. You don't have to give us your credit card over the phone. We have a secure way to do it. She's, I don't trust the internet. I don't know what to tell you there. If you want to send us a check as well, you can do that. But the biggest thing I told her was what I want you to do. I don't want you to book us. Instead, I want you to go search us, go look on Google, have your kids look us up, know who we are before you even think of giving us any money at all, because we don't want you to go into this vacation thinking, am I scammed? Am I not scammed? Did I just... Did I give away my money somewhere to someone who's not real? Am I going to show up as the property going to be there? Because that happens all the time. Our industry is a perfect setup for it. Perfect. Think about it. Even 10 years ago. Hey, here's some pictures on the internet. And I want you to write me a check. And you're not even come to the property for six to 12 months, but I'm going to cash your check and everything. And you may or may not get the actual address, but because by the way, because of a security issue, we're not even going to give you the address until a week before your arrival. And you're not even going to get the way to get in until then. It's 
it's the perfect setup for a scam. So we have to work extra hard to make sure all those trust points are there, that they're built. And then, so we've got all those in our listings that people can find. So we know the super smart people will go search us and find us in direct book. The people that want to rely on the OTAs, we're there too. They can book us there. We make sure we are anywhere where a guest will find us because we want them to come the most comfortable route. So we've got the repeat bookings. We've got people who come through the OTAs. And then the second time they book with us, um, we've got people who book on the OTAs and then quickly realize, oh, we just paid an extra thousand dollars to the OTA for service fee. Man, we could have saved that money. Yep. But next time you will, this is great. But the key thing is no matter where they find us from, if they find us from a Google search, if they find us from Instagram, from Facebook, from the OTAs, I want them to know they did not book an Airbnb. They did not book a Verbo. They booked from Branson family retreats and it shows up in the reviews. And I've done some dissection of reviews over on Twitter and it's about time I did another one, but pointing out exactly why, what a perfect review is. When they mention our business name, they mention us by names. They mention exactly the things we put into our houses that answer the problems, the questions that guests have. So we look at why are they coming? What's the problem they have? How do we solve it? And then we make sure that is front and center in the story that we tell people in our descriptions and in our marketing of why they need to choose us. As far as percentage, Conrad, I don't think it's changed much since I last posted. So about 45% direct, 45% or 40% verbo. I definitely keep Airbnb under 10%. That's, and this is all not number of bookings, but this gross revenue. So I divide it by gross revenue. And then our bookings from Villas of Distinction has grown as well. I love, love that I am, I sign an exclusive contract with Villas, Villas of Distinction so that if you want to book in Missouri through them, so Branson or Wine Country, they're only going to show you my properties. So I'm really happy about that. And so that was a really th cool thing to me is, hey, you got Marriott Rewards, you got airplane rewards you can actually book us through Villas of Distinction and do that. So that's about, hopefully that helps. <laughs> yeah, no, I think that's a lot of great context. Adam, I know, Adam and Scott, I know we're coming up against time here a little bit. Uh, is there anything else that we haven't asked Tyann that we need to? I feel like we touched on a lot of issues, but honestly, we could go all day. I know with Tyann because she's a wealth of knowledge. It is definitely the case, but Adam, your thoughts. Yeah, I think that I would agree with you there. We could probably take this on for another hour easy, but this is probably a good point to hit pause and just know that we're going to have to get Tyann back at some point to to keep going. Yeah. Scott, anything else that we didn't ask Tyann that you know was top of your mind operationally or from other perspectives? No, I think it was incredible. I think there's a lot of takeaways. And I think it's if you get anything from Tyann, it is extreme clarity, right? She knows what she's going after from an owner perspective, from a guest perspective, and even even on her data, right? She's not afraid to share the data and she's not afraid to tell you exactly what that data means. That we are missing clarity in this industry. And clearly that is a main driver for her and the way she approaches business. I think it's a, I think it is the difference maker. Yeah. I feel like Tyann, the thing that we didn't get to at all, you mentioned at the top is touch day. So maybe we could do just a little bit of background on touch day, I guess, disclosure, they're a client of mine too. So I want to give them a little plug here too, if we could, but they're also a fantastic company. Yeah. What's kind of your thoughts or could you give folks kind of the background of Touch Day and maybe most importantly, how you use Touch Day in your hosting property management experience as well? 
Yeah. Touch Day is a digital guidebook. It answers guest questions before they even ask them. So it is very much a key part of my entire communication. We need something we can talk about later too, is I touch guests, those touch points over 20 times between booking and arrival. That doesn't even include after arrival. So number 20 is that phone call that we make Conrad and touch day is part of that. So beautiful digital guidebook. It's on brand. It mentions it's personalized to the guest's name. It shares information. The cool thing is we can run such high touch properties with such a small team because we're being proactive. That is super key for us being proactive, answering the guest questions before they ask them, putting in videos and photos and links and giving them that information. Less is not more is less. And we want to over-communicate, but in different ways. So we'll communicate to them by email, by text, by phone, with the digital guidebook. It's very choreographed. And I use that word purposely. It's a choreographed communication flow that I have with my guests. Touch Day is a part of that. So the digital guidebook, and then they also have their memo feature, emails, and communication flow. The key thing is the digital guidebook part. And they brought me on five and a half years ago, right at that point in my life when everything blew up and I was going through a fire and I was hustling because all I had for income was my two vacation homes. And that is it. And no, and on top of that, it was winter. It was off season. There was no money. (laughs) And when I got the email from Andy and we started talking and he's like, yeah, we want you to come help us out. At that time, it was just Andy and Joe and they needed that extra perspective and it totally a God thing. And it's been from there. And I love working with that team. So whenever you talk about people talk about the teams they work with, they are fantastic because we're truly a team and they have given me the opportunity to work as me. I don't fit just a role. A role was more molded around my skill set, what makes me happy, what gives me energy and how I can really give back to the industry and have that creative focus on that. So yeah, I, yeah. I hope that helps a little. No, it's good. And people should definitely check out, check out Touch Day. I'll tell you, on the other podcast that I do with Paul, we did the little review of my stay in a vacation rental. We had, I think you were actually texting me while I was in the vacation rental. I was visiting my grandfather. He was sick. Luckily he's doing better now. And when I got there though, Tyan, the, the white Office Depot three ring binder was there. No logos, no nothing on it. I was, I should have sent you a picture of it. I made a mistake there, but I was like, this host desperately needs touch day, but uh, they didn't do it. So we had to <laughs> thumb through the, the like dried up coffee on the paper. It was just not really a great experience. And yeah. <laughs> totally, yeah. total welcoming and excellent guest experience of human touch. Yeah, not so much. <laughs> but yeah, people could definitely learn a lot from checking out everything Tyan's doing. Tyan, what's the best place for people to send people to to check out? Because you do go in a lot of different places. So is it Twitter? I know you're pretty active on there. Is that the best place? Um, I'm active on Twitter, but I'm on all the social platforms at Tyan Marsink. Find me there. My website, tyanmarsink.com. You'll find my slogan for life, Abandoned Boring. And yeah, that's where you can find me. Awesome. We'll put links to that in the show notes. Thanks, Adam and Scott, as always, for recording with me today. Thank you, Tyan, for joining us. This was a phenomenal episode. I really enjoyed it. So we will catch you next week. We'll be back. And if you appreciated this episode with Tyan, she always delivers a five-star experience. Hopefully we've delivered you a five-star listening experience. You have to go to your podcast app of choice, click five stars, and then we appreciate that. It helps us. More people can check out the show and listen to future episodes. Thanks so much. And we will catch you next week.